Good morning, Stone Village, and happy Sunday. I hope that all of you are well and safe in this world. All is well in my world. The Lord be with you, and let us pray. Prepare us, O God, to hear your word, the scripture of this day. Confront us with your claim upon our lives. Clarify the choices we must make if our lives are to have meaning and purpose. Help us to respond to the one who came as the bread of life, so we may know life at its fullest and at its very best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The reading today is from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. <clears throat> and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Today is Transfiguration Sunday, <laughs> the day in the liturgical calendar when we are bedazzled and blinded as God parts the veil of divine mystery and shows us Christ's glorious majesty. Good times. All of the synaptic gospels tell the story of the transfiguration, underscoring its importance to the early church. And over the centuries, the event has accumulated meaning, most of them abstractly theological. In Jesus' school, I was taught the transfiguration is important because it reveals Jesus' divine nature, foreshadows his death, secures his place in the stream of Israel's salvation history, exalts him above the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, and prefigures his resurrection. Good stuff. Weighty stuff. Important stuff. <laughs> no doubt. Here is my confession to you. I'm not sure I like transfiguration. And going one step further, I'm not certain it serves us well. Here's why. In your life, how many times have you stood on the mountaintop with Moses and Elijah? Anyone? 
Well, how many times have you felt the spirit like a cloud envelop you? Anyone? No one. Well, how many times has Jesus appeared to you in bedazzling glory? Anyone? No one I know. <laughs> what about visions? Certainly you've had dozens of visions. Anyone? No. Well, if it's any comfort to you, it's all a no for me, too. So does this mean we are spiritual failures? Are we broken Christians? Are we even Christians if God has not shown up in our lives in blinding glory? Of course, the answer is no. And yet, how many of us have measured our piety, our faithfulness, our at one with God by our ability to see visions, talk with the holy in real time, and bask in blinding, bedazzling light? And therein lies one of the many problems I have with the God on the mountaintop version of Christianity. It prompts us to carve up and compartmentalize our lives of faith, to separate sacred from secular, the mountain from the valley, the spectacular from the mundane. In its worst iteration, mountaintop Christianity is addictive. In such, we spend our days pursuing a high we conflate with spiritual success. When we don't experience the high, we feel empty, unloved, angry, or even bored. Meanwhile, we don't notice the ever-present God in whom we live and move and have our being. Desperate for the mountain, we miss the God of the valley. In today's reading, Peter responds to, Je to Jesus' transfiguration with an affirmation, immediately followed by a proposal. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings. It is good for us to be here. Peter said. I wonder, though, is it? Is it good for us to be here? In some ways, yes. In some ways, Peter is absolutely right. It is good to set aside time and place for contemplation. It is good to gaze upon God whenever and however God reveals God's self to us. It is good to move out of our comfort zones and confront the indescribable otherness of the divine. Until the transfiguration happens, Peter and his fellow disciples experience Jesus as a teacher 
a storyteller, a healer, a traveling companion. His face, his manners, his voice, his mission are all familiar to them. Familiar, endearing, and above all, safe. Then one day, high on a mountaintop, <laughs> the unimaginable happens. Before their very eyes, Jesus changes, becomes at once both fully himself and fully unrecognizable. The man they think they know is suddenly more, suddenly other. And this changes everything the disciples think they understand about Jesus. Whenever we think we have God figured out, it is good to be reminded we are wrong. Whenever we try to stuff Jesus into a theological, cultural, or political box for our own convenience, it's good to have our, our box blown apart. Whenever we grow complacent, self-righteous, or lazy in our lives of faith, it's good to be brought down to our knees by a God whose thoughts are not our thoughts, and whose ways are not our ways. There are good reasons to encounter Jesus on the mountaintop. On the other hand, though, it's not good to fixate on the spectacular, so much so we desecrate the mundane. Most of life is unspectacular. Most of life doesn't bedazzle us with nonstop special effects. But all of life, all of life, contains the sacred. And the challenge for us is to cultivate the kind of sight which perceives God in places darker, murkier, and more obscure than the mountaintop. As soon as Peter affirms his experience, he tries to hoard it. What I hear in his plan to make dwellings is an understandable but ultimately misguided attempt to contain, domesticate, protect, and harness the holy. To keep Jesus shiny, beautiful, and safe on the mountaintop. After all, everything is so good up there. So clear, so bright, so unmistakably spiritual. <laughs> so why not stay forever. Because God says no. Even before Peter is finished speaking, God covers him in a thick cloud and tells him to listen to Jesus, not to his own misconceptions about a life of faith. It's Jesus' way, the way of the valley, the way of the cross, the way of humility, surrender, and sacrifice, which Peter and the disciples, and we must learn to follow. Of course, the disciples are overcome with fear when God speaks to them out of the cloud. They cower in silence and fall to the ground. But then comes the part of the story I do like, 
In fact, I love this part of the story. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. In this, in this simple, ordinary, mundane human encounter of skin on skin, did the disciples catch their breath, shed their fear, and return to themselves. Finally, they see the divine in a guise they can bear. And as it turns out, for all of his eagerness, Peter isn't made for an unending transfiguration encounter. He can't handle too much of the spectacular. All he can actually take of God's glory is a tender human hand on his shoulder and a reassuring human voice in his ear. Now here's the thing. I imagine each of us yearn for mountaintop experiences. And that's okay. They'll come and go according to God's will and timing, not according to our micromanagement. And in this sense, grandiose spiritual encounters are easy. They require nothing of us because we cannot control them. What's hard in the work before us is consenting to follow Jesus down the mountain to the valley. What's challenging is learning to cultivate awe and wonder in the face of the mundane. What's essential is finding God in the rhythms and routines of the everyday life of folding laundry, walking your dogs, embracing the loving touch of a friend, listening to the human voices that tell you do not be afraid. We must learn to cultivate awe and wonder in the unspectacular business of compassion, forgiveness, prayer, service, and solitude, in the unending challenge to love one's neighbor as oneself. Of course, the work of discernment is harder and messier in the valley of everyday life. And we have to look for God minus blinding lights and roaring thunder. But that doesn't mean it's impossible because the God of the whisper is still God. With Transfiguration Sunday, we come to the end of another liturgical season. Having seen the bright lights of Epiphany, we now prepare for the long shadows of Lent. We can't know ahead of time what mountains and valleys lie ahead of us. We can't predict how God will speak and in what guise Jesus might appear. But we can trust in this, whether on the highest, brightest mountaintop or in the darkest, most mundane valley, Jesus abides. Even as he blazes with holy light, his hand remains warm and solid on our shoulders. Even when we are on our knees in the wilderness, he whispers to us, do not be afraid. So, 
Listen to the ordinary. Keep listening. And yes, I do believe for time, it is good for us to be here. Thanks be to God. Amen. I give thanks to God for each of you, and I pray this day you bear witness the love of God in this world. Bear witness the love of God to those to whom love is a stranger, and will find in you a generous and loving friend. In the name of Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. I love you, stoners. I hope you have a great day, and I will talk to you later. Bye.